Welcome to Loving That Sports Talk with your host, James Loving. If you're looking for a fast-paced show that covers football and so much more, this is the place to be. Now, here's your host, formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles, James Loving. This is James Loving, your host of Loving That Sports Talk. Also with me, Chris. You there, Chris? I'm here today, James. But wait, James, before we go further, wait, 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 wait. I, was, I want everyone to, to know that's listening that it is you your to, birthday today. You, you are gotta, working on your birthday. So, happy birthday. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Well, Chris, we got a special show. Uh, normally, we don't get to talk about this sport because I don't know much about it. And we had our guest Rick on before that told us a lot about it, I learned. Mm-hmm. And then we got a guest, Sean Wiggins, that come on. And we're going to talk track, we'll talk Olympics, we'll talk everything about track, and I'm going to learn. But well, welcome back, Rick. And glad to have you on, Sean. Thanks for taking the time. Well, guys, we want to talk about track. Chris got a bunch of questions, but I'm going to chime in and just throw in because I want to learn a little bit more. Because uh, the sport is neat, neat to watch, uh, neat to learn. and I think it's one of those sports is up and coming. But I want to start off, you know, um, how did you guys get into track and coaching it and teaching it? Rick or Sean, which one want to start? Well, I'm going to let Rick um, go ahead and speak first. I want to hear his view. Okay, well, the, the actually the way that I got started was uh, back in the day they used to have the President's Physical Fitness uh, Awards back in elementary school and junior high where you participated in a bunch of different uh, um, athletic things and scored. And if you scored well enough, you'd get this little patch that was the president's physical fitness. I think, uh, I want to say John F. Kennedy started that. But um, uh, I, uh, one of the events was the 600-yard run. And uh, um, I found out that I was pretty good at it. And so I decided I must be a distance runner at that time and then uh, joined the track team and started running distance at, at that point. So that's how I got started into track. Okay. Well, yeah, I, um, I kind of have a similar story, except um, I'm not sure if Rick's a little older than me, but he stayed yards, so I'm thinking he's a little bit older than I am. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. I first started with the meters, you know. <laughs> um, but I actually started uh, back in a small town outside of Chicago called Robbins, Illinois, with the Robbins Track Club. And uh, it was basically like a little um, AAU program for the most part, just for our little community. And uh, a gentleman by the name of, uh, we called him Baltimore. He was like a local town police officer, and he was a, a big track athlete when he was in high school. I think he did some college stuff, and he just got the neighborhood kids to um, join the track team. You know, it wasn't very, very popular. And I was I was a fairly fast guy, you know, as a, as a young kid growing up, so I was really, really involved with it. So uh, that's kind of pretty much how um, I got started and just did it you know, throughout um, junior high, high school, and college. So, yeah. So when when you finished, you know, playing or, or running track, how did then did you move on? Because I know both of you have, you know, I know, Rick, you previously were a coach, and Sean, you're a coach right now. How did you then move into that realm? Well, um, you know, as for, you know, I was actually a football player. You know, that's, that's why I had my most success. But I attribute a lot of things that I did in football to track and field. You know, uh, um, speed is everything. You know, there's, there's, there's no substitute for, for speed and um, endurance. Uh, I know Rick said he was a um, distance runner. I mean, those are just things you just can't um, 
replace that. And even today, I look at today's athlete, I mean, um, track is very, very important because that, that sport just carries over into almost any other sport there is out there, you know. And um, so I've just always been part of that. It's always been part of my life. And, um, you know, once you do a sport, I think the coaching part just kind of naturally fell into place for me. It was one of those deals to where um, I just learned a lot about it and just learned from guys who coached me. So it was kind of a, a natural fit for um, myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, it was it was something that uh, um, once I was done competing, I still wanted to be around and uh, and so coaching. I filled in a couple of times for um, my son's uh, uh, high school coaches when um, when they couldn't uh, run a practice or something like that. So uh, I would jump in and and uh, run the practice and. I thought, man, I got to find a way to to do this, and uh, and I did um, volunteer. I, the first year, I volunteered as a assistant coach, and then uh, after that, I became the head coach for uh, cross country, and then picked up track as well. You know, so, Chris, uh, I know Chris got some questions and Olympic questions. I want to throw some questions in real quick, but Rick, can you start off and then you shine? How how is it different? Um, trying to motivate the kids back when you was um, teaching them, Rick. I'm not saying you are Rick. <laughs> well, how is it different then? And then, Sean, tell me how it's different now. And can y'all compare it, you know, to motivate these kids to run track? You start off, Rick. Um, well, how did uh, how is it different? Uh, I don't know that it's all that different. Uh, people are, are people... Um, you know, this are basically the same. Uh, you, you teach, um, uh, you find kids that have a desire to excel. Uh, you find kids that uh, need a place to belong. You find kids that uh, are teachable. And uh, the rest just falls into place. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that. Um, you know, basically what, what, what I see compared to other sports, you know, track is not really a big money sport compared to things like football and basketball here in our country, you know, but, but, but it's a great sport that um, gives a lot more kids the opportunity to um, be involved in a sport. And that's the, that's the biggest thing that, that um, I see. And like Rick said earlier, it's not that much of a difference than f- from, where, from when it used to be to where it is now. It's always been there. It just hasn't been that um, elite level um, sport as far as, you know, the, the uh, prestige and the money piece of it, you know. I mean, I, I think sport is, uh, um, track is an um, awesome sport. It, it gives kids um, a great opportunity to excel, you know. And one good thing about track is, uh, I mean, you don't have to, have to always win to win, you know. I mean, you can come in last place in your heat, but if you knock, you know, three or four seconds off your previous times, you know, that's improvement. So that's one thing that I that I really, really like about um, um, track and field day, whether it's jumping, you know, with or throwing, or or sprinting, or whatever you know, because the um, the clock doesn't lie, you know. But you can always track kids um, that way, and just and and they can see their results and their improvements. So that's that's one thing that I really really um, appreciate in that sport, sport of track and field. You know. Yeah. Another okay. thing I that uh, I like about it is that uh, you never have. Uh, a kid not play or play because of a coach's decision for the most part. Um, it's like 
the fastest guys um, are the guys that run varsity. You know, it's uh, you never um, have to play politics with parents or anything like that. Right. Um, That's right. Uh, and right there. Uh, yeah, when I uh, when I coached cross country, um, I had uh, um, whoever ran the seven fastest times the previous week was the varsity, and I only made the exception for the regional meet that was the state qualifier that that I would choose the seven runners for the for the regional meet um, because if my top runner for some reason couldn't make that race or had had a twisted ankle or something, I'm not going to sit him down for the state qualifier. Um, but uh, up until that one, it was just the, the top seven run varsity and the next uh, seven run the, the uh, open race or the JV race. So it it's uh, it takes a lot of that. Um, well, you know, my kid should have should have been in there, kind of thing, out of the, out of the uh, equation. So I like that part about it, as far as the coaching. Yes. Nice. Well, so let's just start with some of my questions. Uh, no, what what level do you guys teach? First off, or, or, or do you coach? Well, I coach junior high track right now. Right now, I'm I'm doing junior high track, but this, this is my I just completed my first year of junior high track, which is sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. But but for the past 24 years, I've been at the high school level here in uh, Casper, Wyoming, and I was the um, um, middle distance and sprint coach. Okay. So the, the, those are the events that I that I um, coach there. Rick, before I get to you, Sean, what's the difference between the, the junior high and the, and the high school kids that you found? Well, for the most part, the, the, the difference that I'm seeing right now is at the, at the younger grades, you, you just find just to get kids involved, you know. Um, the expectation level obviously, obviously is, not, is, uh, is not as high, you know. So you just want to get kids out there, um, giving it a shot, um, trying to learn uh, what they can do, you know, you're giving kids opportunities to um, to try several different events, you know, until they find a niche. Because I mean, you might have a kid as a sixth grader uh, run a certain race, and you know, by the time he's a ninth grader, he could be in something totally different. He or she, you know, what I mean. So that's what um, um, the big difference that I see. Even even up through ninth grade, you know, a lot of kids still, and even coaches don't know what a kid can do. You know, sometimes you get those kids to start off very early. But by the time they, you know, become junior and seniors, they may taper off, you know. And um, you may right. see a kid at a younger grade, you know, say, well, gosh, this kid's going to never be able to run. And by the time he or she is a junior and senior, you know, they're ready to earn a, uh, um, a scholarship to go to college. You know, so you just get the, uh, that's, that's the big difference that, I, that I'm seeing there, you know. Right. And, and, and Rick, what, what, what level did you, did you coach? Um, I coached, well, I, I coached a summer program for the city of Loveland in Colorado uh, that was um, elementary up to probably junior high and maybe the first couple of years of high school. It was kind of a, a broad spectrum. Uh, and then from there, I went to coaching high school and uh, I coached high school for four years. Nice. And, and what, what difference did you see? Um. Well, basically, the the maturity and dedication uh, as they got older, um, they they tended to uh, if they stuck around, they tended to be more focused. Um, 
the younger kids just wanted to sometimes just play. Uh, and that was okay because um, if you can't have a little fun, then uh, it's, it makes it tough to stick it out. Uh, right. We, um, we always uh, encouraged them to be involved in relays because uh, then you got a little bit of the team aspect as well. Uh, so uh, that was one of the things that uh, even if a kid wasn't particularly fast, I'd, I'd try to put him in a relay every once in a while um, just to, uh, to get him to feel like part of the team. Go ahead, Chris. Well, okay, so I'm, I'm just going to start rattling off my questions, you guys. So be ready. Um, so when, when you have a student that's being introduced to track for a first time, as a coach, you like teaching them good running form. Can both of you guys, you know, l- let's start with you, Sean. Can you explain what good running form is? Well, yeah, well, um, you know, that's, that's going to vary um, amongst the um, different athletes. You know, some kids pick up things faster than others. You know, what, what I used to always but what I still always do is try to demonstrate first. And it's amazing to see a kid, um, some of the drills that you do is for showing great form running technique. They seem so easy. When a kid first tries doing it, it's like, wow, I mean, this is the simplest thing. A kid can't do it. But what what you really, really appreciate is when you see that growth and the kid finally catches on and learn how to do it. And everything that we do, I mean, everything that I teach, I'm always talking about form running and their technique run efficiently. That's very, very important because that's, that's, that's going to um, make, make your times faster. So it, it's just something that it's kind of like doing layup drills in basketball, something that you do every single day in practice, you know. It's just that, type, it's just that staple that, that you must have um, in, in your everyday training. Yeah. Having, having uh, said that, I also would say that uh, spr- sprinting it, form is much more important in sprinting than, uh, and, than in the distance running, and form in, in the jumping is, is also critical, but uh, there's a long history of distance runners that uh, had what some people would call horrendous form, um, yet uh, were world champions. Um, I remember the... Uh, uh, we talked a little bit about the Olympics. Uh, the movie Chariots of Fire uh, featured Harold Abrams and Eric Little, um, who were uh, both running for the UK. And Eric Little uh, was known for uh, his um, looking up into the sky when he was running, and people didn't know how he could see down the track. But um, right, and then. Uh, there's others, uh, Jim Ryan, who was a world record holder uh, in the mile and uh, uh, an American Olympian, didn't have the gr- greatest of form either. I was surprised the first time I actually saw him run that uh, he was this world record holder because uh, the way he swung, swung his arms was not what you'd call uh, ideal form. So you want to, you want the kids to have the best form they can and the most efficient. Uh, you look at the Kenyans, and even in the distance running, and, and they're uh, amazingly efficient runners. So it, it is important, but it's it's not a uh, make-or-break thing. Um, I mean, people can overcome bad form um, if, if their heart and their mind and their dedication is right. Nice. Well, well, we're we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we have more questions, and I got a few questions too. So, but this is James and Chris, and our guest Rick and Sean. We'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. 
Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam have the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Check your feelings at the door and enter the man cave. Don't let the name fool you because we're here for anybody that wants to talk and listen in. Hosts J.D. Harris and Ray Austin are here to lead the forum from the fans, former players, owners, execs, and coaches. While inside the man cave, you do whatever you like. We won't judge. We'll even go beyond sports to talk technology, current events, and entertainment. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're hooked up with loving that sports talk. James Loving and his guests want to hear it from you. Call us at 1-888-346-9144. That's 888-346-9144. Or drop an email to lovingthatsportstalk at yahoo.com. Now, back to the show. This is James Loving with Loving That Sports Talk and co-host with Chris I'm here. All right, I'm guessing Rick and Sean. You know what, guys? Um, Sean, I have a question. I hated it when the coaches tried to get me out to um, track them. You know, I hated running. You know, he was running, running, running. But I've noticed when a lot of people, kids go out, they love running, start enjoying it. How, how do you tell a kid, you know, like, we hated running in football and basketball, but just keep continuing running the track, you know? I mean... How do you get a kid to come out? Hmm. You want to jump in there, Rick, or you want me to start it off? Go ahead, Sean. Okay. Well, uh, I got to be honest with it. You know, um, I just was one of those guys that actually just liked running, you know, because I was, I was a speed guy, obviously. So, I mean, I was one of those guys to where as a kid, I, I wanted to uh, reach it to, let's see who can get to that next tree the fastest. But I got to admit, you know, I, I played <laughs> basketball, I played football, I was a multi-sport athlete, and, and high school all, all the way through, and track was the hardest sport. To me, track was way harder than football because of that reason, because, I mean, you, you had to run. I mean, practice was running to get ready to run or jump or throw. I mean, that's kind of what you did. And once again, I think it just goes back to um, it has that stigma as being a boring sport because you don't see it on TV all the time. I mean, we always see, what, football, baseball, and basketball. Track is not publicized like those other major sports are. So as a, as a kid, you're not exposed to it as much. And I think that's where it starts. It's starting to get better, you know. They're like starting to put more things on TV. And now you're starting to get more than multi-sport athlete. I mean, you look at all this stuff that comes on TV now with the combines for football and things of that nature. They're doing a lot of workouts that involves um, running, you know, running and jumping, skipping, hopping, those kind of things. So uh, now we have a lot more of these, um, what you call these, uh, professional trainers 
a lot of the things that they're doing now is related to the crossfitting and the running and things of that nature. So I just, you know, I think that's one of the um, one 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 of the things now that that's more prevalent than what it used to be as far as getting kids involved with with this sport. Well, if a kid came up to me and said, "But, uh, but, coach, I don't like running," I'd I'd simply ask him, "Well, do you like winning?" <laughs> because without the without the speed, the uh, the winning is a lot tougher. That's right. Go ahead, sir. So one of the questions I have for you guys has to do with you know beginning running. So what 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 are some of the secrets or insights? That you would have to become to become a runner. Well, you know, I um, I tell you, I, just looking back and being a school teacher and just being around kids, I think a, a lot of it starts like in your PE classes. You know, I think PE teachers are are great resources to um, help get a kid involved with track and field. I mean, I that's, I go to a lot of the um, the um, teachers at, at school. The uh, PE teachers and, and they can kind of tell you who is capable of doing it and um, who may have a good chance, a good opportunity, and, and who can benefit from it. That's a big start there. Okay, Rick. Well, I think that uh, if you if you start with kids, uh, you really don't need to uh, start from scratch because if you watch kids. Uh, out in the playground or or whatever, they're already runners. They're running over here. They're running over there. Like Sean said, run to that tree. Uh, let's see who who can run there fastest and stuff like that. Kids are are frequently running anyway, so it's just a matter of um, right. channeling that so so that you can uh, get them focused. But then uh, you know jumping and stuff. Uh, one of my main events in high school was the triple jump. And mm-hmm. I got started, I was the only miler triple jumper that my coach ever had, because they're not usually uh, um, you must have combined. Good form. You must have some good form technique. Yeah. Um, I wasn't that fast, um, cause, mostly because I was a distance runner. But uh, I had excellent technique and was able to get my high school triple jump record uh, because of uh, of my technique. But uh, the reason I started, I started in junior high just because I'd never seen it before. And I thought, what is, I was just curious. And I asked this guy what he was doing and he told me and he kind of showed me the ropes. And I started in junior high and just kind of always did it in the, in the background until my senior year in high school. And then I decided to focus on it and uh, uh, improved by leaps and bounds, if you will. All right. Wow. Scott, let me go real quick, Chris. Sean, Rick, tell me one of y'all's successful story. It could be one kid, a girl, a boy, that either their time was different or they want to uh, race. Or just tell me one of the successful story that happened to you with a student or with a kid. Well, you know, through, throughout my career and throughout my um, my um, coaching career, uh, I've seen several. You know, I, I mean, it's. What's amazing to me is uh, you, you take a kid, let's say, um, when they're in the ninth grade, um, and they just, they're just out there. They can barely walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. And then all of a sudden, by the time they're juniors and, and seniors, they're, they're um, in the finals of the state track meet. You know, those are the, um, I've seen several success stories uh, like that. In fact, um, um, one kid that we had, he was kind of a, 
uh, a thick, muscular kind of kid, a, a bigger kid. And um, his dad was actually a, a half-miler in college back in the day. And so this kid was just kind of out, and his mom came. He's kind of a quiet, shy kid. His mom said, I just want him to, to get involved. You know, I'm not expecting him to, to um, do what his dad did, just kind of get him out there. And, you know, he, he was just kind of just out there just for fun just to, to um, do something. And so um, he actually ran the hurdles, wasn't very good at that. He was always a crash guy. He always fell. And um, so um, he um, did, some, did some triple jumping, like you said yourself, Rick. And he, he's actually a pretty good triple jumper. He, he, he wasn't that bad. I mean, not good enough to, to compete at the state level. But all of a sudden, um, the first meet of his senior year, um, we put him in the uh, two-mile relay. You know, each kid runs at 800. And... Um, the first time he, he um, competed there, he came out and ran like like a two old six. You know, by the end of the season, he was already sub two. So that's one of those stories. So I, I mean, I would have never guessed that from a kid like that. He he was he was kind of a thick, um, bulky kid. I mean, and here this state meet, he's on he's on the two mile relay team, and he was running like like a like a one fifty nine leg in the uh, eight hundred. So that's what. That, that's that's one story that that um, you know fixed out in my mind because he was just one of those guys when you saw him he was he was just saying like no way there's, there's no way this is gonna happen you know or or how did it happen I mean he jumped leaps and bounds in a short period of time you know and that kid's name was John Fowler and this this was maybe ten years ago so that's one of, that's that's one of my many stories I guess. Yeah, I I had a very similar story with a uh, a kid named Darren that uh, he when he first went out for track as a ninth grader, um, he went out for, for sprints and he was skinny, um, gangly, uh, awkward, clumsy, and the sprinting coaches uh, uh, gave him a quick look and sent him over to meet the distance running coach and said. Uh, here, uh, you take this kid because he's never going to make it over here. <laughs> and uh, and he was he wasn't particularly fast, and um, he wasn't uh, in my top probably ten runners. But uh, he stuck it out and he kept running. And um, by the time he was a senior, uh, he was uh, on the um, the four by eight hundred relay team that uh, set the our high school record. Uh, he was uh, not the fast. He was the the fourth guy on that out of the uh, the fourth fastest out of those four, but uh, he walked away as a uh, school record holder. And the thing that uh, really made me feel great about it is he went ahead and ran track in college. Um, awesome, good for you know, yeah. as a as a as a walk on. And uh, then when he graduated from college with a degree in education, he went on to coach, and now he's a Perfect. high school oh, yeah. track coach in uh, Colorado, and the last time I talked to him, he was talking about one of his kids that he was sending to state as a coach, and uh, that's the the fact that uh, they carried on afterwards uh, was what made it feel like such a success to me, is uh, he got a lifelong love for running and for track and field um, that uh, I was able that's to great. nurture in its infancy. That's great. That's great. Well, no, no, what, one, one thing I had read was when you start running, um, you definitely want to set goals. And one of the goals you want to do is, is to sign yourself up for a race somewhere, an event, so where, where, where you're running in, a, in an event somewhere. Because they say that, you know, crossing the finish line 
is the most encouragement anybody can have. Do you have any anything to to comment on that one? Well, um, you know, I um, think. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, sorry. Uh, I don't think that uh, for everybody um, you have to sign up for a race. Uh, it can be really an individual thing, though I don't think it's a bad idea. And uh, um, you get uh, support of the people around you. Uh, I remember one time getting a group of people together to uh, train for a marathon, and we had one girl named Jenny that no matter what run we did, she would never finish it if we were running 15 miles, she'd quit at 13, or if we ran 19 miles for practice, run, she'd quit at 16 or something. And when the race finally came, um, she wasn't sure that she could make the 26 miles that a marathon is. But uh, uh, when she came, popped up um, onto the last little stretch there, and she could see the finish line, and they announced uh, her name and saying, she's about to finish her first marathon, she just burst out crying, and uh, she came across the finish line just sobbing, and we're going, are you all right? She goes, I'm just so happy. Um, but uh, So, yeah, for her, just finishing that crossing, that crossing that finish line was the best thing that uh, could happen to her. Nice. Sean? Mm-hmm. Um, basically, when, when people start running, you know, they, they typically have a delayed onset muscle soreness. What would you do? To, with beginning runners to minimize this soreness, what would you do to tell them to minimize it? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, no one. Rick, is this is myself uh, here. So what I would tell them is uh, that uh, you just need to get through the first week, and it'll it'll fade. Uh, each day, it'll get a little better. Swimming helps um, to relieve sore muscles. Okay. Don, do you have anything to add to it? Yeah, I, I uh, totally agree with uh, Rick just said there. You know, it's just a whole pain tolerance piece of it, too. You know, just like in any sport, you know, when you when you start working out, you're going to be sore. You know, so you just want to try to encourage them to, you know, drink a lot of water. Like you said, swimming is, is, is a great food as well. But, you know, um, you also uh, rest is very important, too. You know, I mean, sometimes you, just, you have to sit back and just, uh, and just rest from running um, a little bit as well. So, and... and and that kind of, you know, um, that kind of training, especially in track, you know, because you're always running to run. So I like to change things up and just, and just also do different different things, you know. Um, you have your hard days, you have your easy days, you know. You, your different cycles, I'm sure uh, uh, Rick is very aware of that, especially being a distance coach, you know. And the thing is, too, that this damn time, coaches need to realize and understand. It was different when back in the day when we were running. You know, because you just ran, ran, ran. Your coach just made you do this, and you just did it. But nowadays, we have, we have a different breed of cats, kids out there. So every kid's different. You know, so you have to be able to um, um, be able to notice each kid's tolerance level of um, what they can what they can handle. But from just from my personal experience, you know, sometimes rest is best. Rest is best. I know it's a little bit different from distance than it is sprinting, but um, so that's that's kind of what I've uh, had gone to as I um, continue to to uh, coach in the present day. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, and even with distance runners, uh, I always found that if I ran fairly hard but fairly short the day before a race, kind of to um, blow the dust off, 
that I performed better the next day. But with other people, it was, uh, you know, better if they just didn't do anything at all or just did some stretching. So even with distance running, they, that concept of uh, individual preparation is important. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone's different, you know? Yeah. True, true. So tell me what the question uh, well, do you want to go and start talking about the Olympics? Yeah. I know Rick does. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the, the, the U.S. Olympic track, yeah. track and trials will begin late next week in Eugene, Oregon, on the University of Oregon campus. So to you guys, um, what track events do you think are, the, are most popular, and which ones will people focus on more? Go ahead, Rick. I'll let you start this off. Um, well, the... Um, for distance runners, uh, one of the most popular ones is going to be um, the uh, the marathon, of course. And and the, the United States has already qualified their uh, their participants for the marathon. That was back in February, uh, and uh, so they need more time to recover and uh, pre- prepare than uh, shorter runners. But um, the 5K, the 10K, um, those have been some key events with some familiar names, uh, Billy Mills back in Tokyo in, what is it, 1964. Uh, they made the movie Running Brave uh, about him, and he still goes around the country and inspires kids to run to this day through his, um, his foundation. And, uh, of course, Steve Prefontaine was a, uh, a 5K runner, and uh, they made two movies about uh, Prefontaine. Uh, he unfortunately uh, died in a single car accident uh, just before uh, what they figured would be his uh, his best uh, Olympics ever. Well, we got to take a break before you answer, Sean. We'll take our last break, and then you come back and have your answer, Sean. But this is James, Chris, and Rick, and Sean. We'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Your internet flagship station for sports... 
Voice America Sports. You're hooked up with Loving That Sports Talk. James Loving and his guests want to hear it from you. Call us at 1-888-346-9144. That's 888-346-9144. Or drop an email to lovingthatsportstalk at yahoo.com. Now, back to the show. This is your host, Chris Marwitz, and I am here for James. And we have as our guest, we have Rick and we have Sean. And we're talking about uh, track and field today. So thank you for being on, guys. Yeah, most definitely. Glad to be here. Perfect. So we were just talking about uh, the U.S. Olympic track and field trials that are going to be happening next week up in Eugene. Um, and I, I, was there anything more you wanted to uh, uh, discuss on that, uh, Rick? Uh, just um, that uh, Hayward Field is the... Uh, the track up there in Eugene, and uh, basically they call that the the house that pre-built. Uh, it's uh, the Olympic trials. The American Olympic trials um, has been called the second best track meet in the world, um, only second to the Olympics themselves. So it's a uh, it's a pretty exciting thing. You'll see um, almost every time there's world records broken at the Olympic trials. Right. So it's uh, right. it's worth uh, giving a look. Yeah. yeah. So, so the question was, what track events do you think are the most popular? Which which will which ones will people focus on? Uh, Sean, what what's your uh, response? Well, you know, of course, it's always going to be the one and the two. You know, especially with the sprints. You know, those are just things that uh, you know, it has always have been that way. You know, those races are all about the fastest man and the fastest woman in the world. So that hundred meter dash is, is, is all always one that, that people want to see. You know, you can go back to the. To the Jesse Owens days, you know, they they uh, put a movie out this year um, about Jesse Owens. I think it's a great movie that everyone should go see. Uh, it it um, tells a lot of history about our country, and um, so those those are the, the races that I really think people would definitely focus on worldwide. The, the uh, right. 100 and the 200 meter dash, men and women. Right. I, I also understand yeah. that this year um, during the Olympic trials, they're going to have the most. TV broadcasts that they've ever had because they're going to not only be on NBC but they have like a NBC Sport. I, I think they're going to have like five or six different channels where they're going to be broadcasting it up to up to like twenty five hours worth or something, which is which is oh wow wow unprecedented okay. from the past. Yeah, yeah that's well, all. you know, anytime you start talking about TV, there's always money, you know. So that's a good right. thing. It's a good thing they're starting to put that on more because obviously it's, it's become more focused there, and the more the focus the more revenue is going to create. What do you think about that, Rick? Um, you know, I just it's just great for the fans. Um, and uh, awesome, obviously yeah. there's not as many fans as the NFL or NBA, but uh, there's a, a solid group of fans out there. And the more TV exposure, the more fans there's going to be. So it's just better all around. Right. So my next exactly. question has to do with with sprint running, we were kind of talking about that a little bit. And in the past years, you know, they've always had a lot, a lot of false starts, you know, when it comes to, you know, where they, they, they leave early and it kind of, you know, <laughs> gets everything going and they got to restart, reset and, and get going again. So my question to you is how important is that start? Oh, the start, the, the start is very important, especially in those, um, in those sprint races, you know, um, 
I think coaches at the lower levels are doing a much better job of, of uh, training kids um, how to deal with those situations. Um, I know I work on it all the time uh, as, as far as the uh, mental piece of it. And I think it's, it's just a mental thing um, from um, my experiences, you know. And, you know, the more you do it, the more confident you are. Um, and I think the, the, the um, better you'll become at it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, a good change that they made uh, years back um, to help with that was it used to be ridiculous because you could false start uh, once and they not get disqualified. Was it one free one, Rick? They that one free one? Yeah, you, you had one I, free one, and, and then if you right. false started a second time, you'd be disqualified. But right. it got to be in some races where you'd have five or six false starts before the races <laughs> actually get off, and then they went to um, um, disqualifying you after one false start, and that helped a lot. (laughs) And so it it was so frustrating. But wasn't that also kind of a a mental game, too, for that? Sure it was. Sure it was, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. That's all it was, in fact. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I just remember all that, and they used to talk about, you know, during the race and have to reset, and you'd hear all this, all the announcers talk about that, and it's like, oh, I, th- I think they're getting into so-and-so's head. And, you know. uh, sure, sure. Oh, yeah. and, and, and especially since you've already given out that kind of, 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 of burst energy, you know, then you've got to try to, you know, do it all over again. So, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, in your opinion, um, do you think the track and field is becoming more popular because the Olympics are running around the corner, or are they just becoming more popular because people are are, are seeing it, are are becoming more aware of of running and 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 the events? Sure, I, uh, I think it's I think we see a surge um, every time the Olympics come around. It's like women's volleyball. For three years, nobody cares about women's volleyball, and then the Olympics right. come along, and suddenly everybody cares about it. I, I think there's, that's always going to be the case uh, with um, sure. a lot of these sports, is that uh, when the Olympics comes along, then suddenly it's, okay, who's going to be in there? Who, who am I going to be rooting for when they go down to Brazil? So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Most definitely. Right. The Olympics definitely brings, brings more um, attention to um, this sport, you know, because it's like every four-year thing to where, you know, I mean, every year you're going to have the NBA finals and you're going to have the Super Bowl, you know? It's a, mm-hmm. it's an annual deal, you know. Right. So. Mm. Yeah, it is. It it and and it seems like you know, especially where we live, you know, we're we're here, you know, in, in near Boulder, and you know, you you get a lot of of class runners come to Boulder, um, mm-hmm. and so a lot of people are are interested in it, and you know, then then you throw in the Olympics on top of it, and people are like, wow, <laughs> how do I start? Sure. Uh huh. So yeah. the next thing I want to talk about is the Russian track and field team. You know, so they've been banned from competing in this summer's Olympic in Rio, and it has to do with doping yeah. allegations. Um, should the uh, yeah. should the entire Russian track federation gotten banned, or individuals who tested positive? Uh, I, I'll let you answer. Right. I, uh, go ahead, Sean. I'm sorry, Sean. Oh, you want me to go ahead and answer on that? Yes. Well, I, I think I, uh, I think you need to start off with it with an individual basis, you know, instead of um, making a whole team suffer for that, you know. And I mean, we've had several 
Americans that, you know, was, has been caught with, you know, doing illegal things. And it's just one of those things where you can't just fault everyone for doing it. That's just my personal opinion, you know. Right. Rick? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably um, take a, a little more hardline approach uh, because uh, generally speaking, when the, uh, when the Americans or French or whatever uh, have been caught doing um, doping and stuff like that, uh, it's been uh, their own thing that they were trying to work around the rules and trying to cheat. But with the Russian system, um, they had evidence, not evidence, but proof that it was coming from above. It was the, the Russian leaders that were pushing this onto the athletes. And in fact, one of the reasons that it came out was some of the uh, the athletes protested um, you know, they didn't want to do the doping and stuff like that, and uh, they're the ones that turned turned uh, their own federation into the uh, uh, International Olympic International Olympic Committee. Uh, a runner specifically, I read about that uh, she was training. She went to train in another country because she didn't want to be involved with that whole uh, doping mm-hmm. process that was systemic with the uh, with the Russian track team. And if that's the case, then then I can see, um, you know, dropping the the whole track team. And fortunately for this lady, they came up with a rule where if the Russians can, uh, if a Russian athlete can show that they weren't part of this program, they were training elsewhere and they weren't doping and they tested clear and everything, they can still compete in the Olympics, just not under the Russian flag. So, um, yeah, so I, I don't know what the right answer is, but, uh, um, it sends a clear message to, uh, to teams. I remember growing up and, uh, the East German women's swim team was, was, uh, you know, they were, they were tougher females on there than, uh, than on the men's team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was, uh, later shown that, uh, when the uh, when the Berlin Wall fell and some of the stuff came out that they they had been doing um, you know doping and hormone treatments and stuff like that for the women athletes in the in East Germany for years. True. Yeah. And uh, it was a like state sponsored thing as opposed to an individual trying to cheat. Right. But yeah, it seems like it's more guilt by association, you know, rather than you know them actually being proven that they were doing it? Well, um, from from the information that I've read, uh, it was pretty much across the board um, that uh, the Russian leaders were, you know, track leaders were saying, look, if you want to compete, you know, you've got to do be part of this program. And um, uh, we different uh, athletes would say, yeah, they kept giving us things saying they were vitamins or whatever. We didn't know what we were taking. Um, we mm-hmm. were just told we, that we needed to take it. And mm-hmm. uh, so they really don't know even what the, some sure. of the athletes themselves didn't even know what they were uh, getting into. What, what they were taking, right. Right, right. So I, I kind of want to move a little forward. Um, or I actually jump back a little bit because you guys, because Sean, I, I know you're more into sprints and, and Rick, I know you're more into distance. So what are the differences in training with sprints versus distance running? 
Well, I'm sure, um, I mean, Rick, you're probably thinking more of the um, cardiovascular type running style. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mine would be more um, drills and form, form running techniques, as uh, Rick had stated earlier. You know, but, but, but nowadays, you know, they, they got those guys that can kind of do both now, too, you know. So um, I know a gentleman here in Casper now, he's, um, he's actually converting um, business runners into sprinters, <laughs> you know. And I've seen it the other way, of course, too. You know, you, you take those sprinters and, and, and you bump them up and try to make them business runners because now you got, you call their um, natural speed they have already. Now you've got to put an endurance base on them to where you make a better athlete. So, um, you know, I've seen it both ways, believe it or not, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always uh, I always like to, uh, uh, thought it was easier to take somebody fast and, and sure. get them to go long than to find somebody that could go long and get them to go fast. Exactly. Uh, it just seemed like I totally easier transition totally to me. Um, you, when you think about the top marathoners, they're running 26 miles. Uh, they'll throw um, a, a mile or two in there that are um, sub five minutes. Uh, on the high school level, a sub five minute mile is is moving along pretty good. That's that's pretty good yes, speed. Yes, it is. Um, these guys are running 26 miles and throwing those in the middle. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's speed is it speed is important no matter what distance you're running. Um, and uh, if you can get somebody that's got good speed to stretch, you might uh, take a um, a quarter miler and uh, and stretch them out. And uh, the I remember. A few years back, uh, Brian Berryhill was a uh, national champion in the 400 in high school, and he uh, um, ran a few 800s in high school. Well, when he got up to college, he went to um, Colorado State University. Uh, they made yeah, him a miler in high school or in college, and he ended up to be uh, the NCAA indoor mile champion. And uh, went on later to be coaching. Now I think he's coaching at the uh, University of Wyoming. But okay. uh, you know, he was a, a sprinter in high school that uh, that went longer and longer distances and became a, a, a champion. At one time, he had the fastest. One year, he had the fastest mile um, in the uh, in world. He ran a three fifty six. Wow! And. Uh, so yeah, I always thought it was easier to take somebody fast and make them uh, um, and uh, make them go long than to go the opposite way. Well, guys, uh, we're going to have to to close the show out, but it's been great, Rick, to have you on again, and Sean, always great to have you and talk to you. Well, thank you, thank so, you. Hopefully, we'll we'll be able to talk more, especially as the Olympics comes on, and uh, we'll be able to watch more track and field. So. It's been great. Okay, sounds awesome. Uh, Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. You guys have a great week. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Loving That Sports Talk. But don't worry, James Loving will be back next week, Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Get ready to love more sports talk then. And keep in touch with James all week at lovingthatsportstalk at yahoo.com.